this is just an exciting day. It is such an exciting day. I've been eager to share it with you today. Here we're going to uh, look into God's Word, as we always do, and uh, look once again at a very familiar passage. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. The other night we had our Good Friday service, and I brought this passage out. This morning, I bring it out again, in about an hour or so from now, two hours almost, I'll do it one more time. 1 Corinthians 15, the verses I want to focus primarily on, verse number 3 and verse number 4, and the phrase I want to speak to this morning is in verse number 4, and that he was buried Seems like a strange text to begin a resurrection day, huh? And that he was buried. We're celebrating what I think might be the most exciting event, not only in the Word of God, but in all of human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I have had the joy of preaching Easter messages for 29 years. Eight of them now here. And I think that's exciting to me. Just to be able to come to uh, a day like today and declare, there is no shortage of passages I can take you to when we talk about the resurrection of Christ. There is no way I'm ever going to exhaust that topic in my lifetime. And neither will you. It just can't be done, because when we talk about uh, Scripture, we talk about how many times the reference to the resurrection is in there, and I've never sat and counted them, but that would be quite an adventure. Here's what I do know. When we get to uh, heaven someday, what do you think the theme of our praise will be about? The resurrected Lord. This is how it begins in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus Christ, verse number 5 says, The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. I mean, it doesn't take long just to get right to the point, does it? Firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Jesus starts to speak. And in Revelation 1, verse 7 says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And then this added phrase I love. I have the keys. I have the keys of death. I have the keys of hell. He has the keys. So this morning, as we go into a passage like this, We're looking again at a gospel we have received. A message given to us from God. And it's one we believe. The significant part that we will look at today is the fact that Jesus Christ was buried. Was buried. Verse number 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand in which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is an important text for us. As I mentioned the other night when we were in this passage, the importance of the gospel, especially in verse number 2, is by that we were saved. Would you consider that important? It's by this gospel that we're saved. And so, Paul calls it of first importance in verse number 3. It's first importance to him. And I think you would agree with that. It's of first importance to us, too. Would you want it to be diminished in any way? I don't think you would. Would you like any part of it missing? No, I wouldn't. There are no substitutes for this truth. This doctrine set before us here, it is by this that I am saved. I don't want parts of it. I don't want a shortage on it. I want it just as it is because it's of first importance to me. One commentator said the resurrection is primary, central, and indispensable. You can't take that out of the story, can you? And we say, yes, the resurrection, that's important. But isn't his burial important too? Just as vital in the whole understanding of the gospel. His death is vital. His resurrection is vital to the message. So is his burial. That's what we're going to look at, especially here this morning, because that is a glorious theme. Charles Spurgeon made this note. He was a man who trained pastors, and uh, so he wrote some wonderful books on uh, uh, how he would train them and things of that nature, but his quotes always just come right back to even a pastor who's been around for a while and reminds us what it's all about. He said this so simply, the preacher does not make the gospel. If, a, if he makes it, it is not worth your having. Originality in preaching, if it be originality in the statement of doctrine, is falsehood. We are not makers and inventors. We are repeaters. We tell the message we have received. That's it. And it's straightforward. It's simple, but that's the power. He was buried, the text says. Let's take a, a, a look at this passage together. Now, there are four records of his burial in Scripture. We have it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to just go to one of them with you for a moment here. Matthew chapter 27. Now way back to Matthew chapter number 27. And it's recorded right there at the end of the death of Christ, obviously. Verse number 57 through 60. A very short little passage. And this is what it says. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body 
wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Now, according to the other text, who was with him? Nicodemus was. Matthew doesn't record that side of it, but he's giving this emphasis. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it with and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. There's finality in that picture, isn't there? On any other front, that's probably a similar thing we would have experienced. Burial seems to be so complete and finished, doesn't it? He went away. Was this supposed to happen this way? If you go back to Isaiah 53, you find something very wonderfully said in that passage. There's so much in Isaiah 53, and we've been through these passages before. But this is what it said in verse number 9. Isaiah 53, 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Who was that? Joseph of Arimathea. It was his tomb. And the Lord knew that was going to be the case. It was prophesied that way, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. All of the events that took place in that day, particularly, were prophesied. He was to die. The Old Testament said so. And he did. He was to die on our behalf for our sins. And he did. He was to be buried. And he was. These scripture record. But let me look at this word with you for a minute. And this is where I... I get so excited in this passage. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, He was buried. Start with the very thing that stands out in front of you. It is a fact that he was buried. That's the nature of the proof of death, by the way. One commentator said it's also the groundwork for the resurrection. He was buried. This is a very important item in this gospel that we're looking at. Matter of fact, if you follow the logic of 1 Corinthians 15, you'll find this kind of a pattern. First his death, then his burial. First his resurrection, then his appearance. Now what's the, what's the importance of, of his death and his burial? His resurrection and his appearances. The fact that he was buried verified his death. The fact that he was seen verified his resurrection. That's what the author, Paul, is doing in this and showing in such a potent way. He was buried. To our human viewpoint, that's a finality. That's the way we look at it. But it's a fact. That's what I start with here. There's no maybes here. There's no potentials. There wasn't any schemes. There wasn't some sort of trickery. He was buried. Not only did Joseph and Nicodemus do that, 
But the ladies watched. They were watching. That's how they knew where to go that Easter morning, right? They knew the right place to go. But even more than that, somebody else knew where the tomb was. For when the guards were ordered by the high priest through Pilate to go and guard the tomb, do you think they went to the wrong place? They guarded that tomb. They knew he was buried. We could attest to that for those who believed and those who didn't believe. They knew he was buried. He was behind that stone. And that stone enough was a strong indicator that that was a sense of finality. To roll the stone in front of it. There's no maybe here. He was buried. An action completed. Done. That's Peter's argument, by the way, in Acts chapter 2. Turn over to Acts 2 with me. You've got to see this passage. This is the first sermon preached after the resurrection of Christ. What do you think its main theme is? The resurrection of Christ. How can you get away from it? It's the main thing that's given us a message to preach at all. But here in Acts chapter 2, start in verse 22, Peter is speaking. And he's speaking to the Jews all around him. The Jews, by the way, who were there, more than likely, when Jesus Christ was crucified the first time. They're several weeks before. And here they are. They're required, by the way, to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. That was in God's law. That was one of the three holidays. All men had to come to Jerusalem. And so there they were, a captive audience, if you will, and Peter begins to declare to them the truth of God's great gospel. And let me follow the words with you. You'll find this great. Chapter 2, Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words, he says. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. They couldn't deny, deny that, could they? Do you know what? Many of these people saw him give the ability to walk to lame men. Give the ability to see to blind men. Many of them were there when he pulled uh, uh, demons out of this person or that person. Many of them might have even gone down to the cemetery the day that Lazarus came out of that tomb. He says, you've seen the signs. You've seen the wonders. They attest all the way through that God, this is a man of God. You yourself know that. And this man, he says in verse 23, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Boy, isn't that a way to preach a sermon? You killed him, is what he said. And they couldn't deny that either, could they? For they were part of that. Verse 24. But, this is always a beautiful part. God raised him up again. Putting an end to the agony of death. Since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. 
Now he starts to give you the support for all this, especially from the Old Testament. Acts 2.25, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, Peter says, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Now, he's going to make a powerful point, but this is where he starts. You just heard what David said about how the Lord would not let him be abandoned to Hades, to the grave. He would not undergo decay. He says, now, folks, we know David lived. We know David died. Matter of fact, we know where his tomb is. He says, just down the street, turn to the left, go about four blocks, right? David's tomb. Everyone knew where David's tomb was. And he's talking to them out of facts. David died. David was buried. David's still in that tomb. Who was David talking about? If it wasn't David, who could possibly be the one that fulfilled these words? He's speaking of Jesus Christ. The one who would die and rise again. Now, Peter's going to make that point in very clear terms. He's already did. Jesus is risen from the dead. But here's the fact that sat before every single one of those people in that audience that day. If Jesus was still dead, how long would it take them to prove it? Just go down the street. Walk into that cemetery. There's the grave. Even roll the stone out. There would be the body. They could have proved the death of Christ and his burial easily. But here they stand before Peter and not one of them moved. Do you know why? Not one of them went to the cemetery. Do you know why? Not one of them went to move a stone. Do you know why? Because they knew Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. That was a fact they understood. There was no debate. There was nothing they could have done. They couldn't produce the body because that's the strength of the whole argument. This is what Peter adds in verse 30. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, looking ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, and we are all witnesses. What a sermon. What a sermon. You see, the burial was the evidence. Evidence that life had ended. Evidence that he was dead. If he were a fraud, his tomb would have still been sealed. Now look at the words again here in 1 Corinthians 15. He was buried. It's, yes, it's a fact. It is the evidence. But it's also the evidence of his resurrection too. 
What do you mean when you say, he was buried? He didn't say he is buried. Wouldn't that imply it's still the case? When we say the word was, doesn't it mean that that's done? That's over? He was buried. The angel in Matthew 28 said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. For he has risen just as he said. And then he says, And come and see where the place where he was laying. He was laying. You know, I don't know anybody else who ever says that they have a borrowed tomb. Jesus' tomb was borrowed for a short while. Here's another place I want to show you. I love just going all over Scripture with these themes in Scripture. Acts chapter 13. This is Paul's sermon. The Apostle Paul. Acts 13, starting in verse number 27. He's in a place called Pisidia Antioch. It's Asia Minor. It's north and a little to the west of the territory of Israel. Uh, We call it the Galatian region. And he's up in that area. First time going into these towns. First time for many of them to have heard the gospel message. And Paul walks in and he starts to declare the truth of the gospel. And in Acts 13, verse 27, we're going to just jump right in the middle of his sermon here. But listen to what he says. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. Fulfilled what? Fulfilled scripture. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. Done. Buried. Their job was finished. And then the next verse. But God raised him from the dead. What I will show you here this morning is this. Every time we declare the fact that he died, we declare the fact he was buried. And every time we declare the fact he is buried, we declare the fact that God raised him back again. That is the gospel in three pieces. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's what we declare. But this is an important part of it. He was buried. Now, I want to show you something else. To add to this, not just the fact, not just the power of it, not just the way it sets up for his great resurrection, but how does it become very personal to you and me? Consider this. Chapter 15 of Acts is written about our resurrection. We call it the resurrection chapter because it's all about us, you and me, who live in these mortal bodies that need to be changed, right? They need to be changed. Why? Because these bodies don't fit in heavenly circles. 
They're not made for heavenly circles. They're made for earthly circles. They're made this way. But we also know they, they're perishable. They decay. We know that. We know the whole story. But we must be changed. We must go through resurrection ourselves. That we might stand in the presence of the Lord in immortal bodies. Imperishable bodies. They must be changed. Now, upon the death, burial, and resurrection, we can count on our resurrection. You see, because we're in Christ Jesus. And that's the theme of chapter 15. All the way through, he's making his point. Paul is, is he writing about our future resurrection. The argument is so simple. And here it is. If Christ were not raised, neither should we have any hope that we would be. But since he is raised, that's where our hope lies. The theologian Lenski said it this way. It shows that his death was like ours, for we too are buried after death. The latter is important because like Christ, we, we who die shall have our bodies raised again. It really does, us, does no good to us if any of these events are altered. If Christ had died, and if he had not been buried, or if he had not died, or if he had not been risen, we would have no hope. But all three are facts. He died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. You see, that's the significant part, that when we say Christ tasted life and death for us, he tasted burial as well, and resurrection too. And we follow in his steps. We're following his steps. He's conquered for us. He's conquered them. He has the keys, remember? He has the keys. I want to bring one more thing to your consideration with these things. And it's in Romans chapter 6. I couldn't go a sermon without a passage of Romans in front of us. Romans 6 verse 3 and 4. Look at these words. Therefore, no, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. And so as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It'd be impossible, folks, to live a Christian life without his resurrection. That would be impossible. It'd be pointless to tell the truth if it wasn't for his resurrection. But Paul says this again in Colossians, in chapter 2, verse 12 through 15. And I'll read this passage to you. But there he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And I'm going to make a point just Step to the side for a second and make you understand this. He's not talking about water baptism. He's not saying just because you were baptized, you know, in water, that that is what's made this difference. He's talking about your union with Christ. The baptism by faith. And that was his point right there in Colossians 2.12. It's belief. 
You believe in Him. And this is where it gets so fascinating to me when I try to understand it. And it's, it's really too big of a topic. But here it is. When Jesus Christ died, He died for us, but we died in that. When He was buried, He was buried for us, but we were buried in that. When He rose from the dead, He rose for us, and we rose in that too. That's what the, the statement is for faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. And this is why he's saying, we've been baptized with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death concerning decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. Love that phrase, don't you? He nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. You see, this is what gets so important to us here this morning. When we say he was buried, we do talk about a fact. But we also talk about our faith. We believe that. And it has importance to us as believers in Christ. It has importance to our Christian walk. It has importance to our future of our own resurrection. It is important to our gospel. It is of first importance that all these are true. Where would we ever find a resurrection without a burial? Now I can't wait. For the next message. I almost want to say, just relax, we're having bring the food up to you. But I do have to finish with this point. I delivered unto you that which we have received. I just simply said what God has said himself. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's what we celebrate today. That's what we celebrate today. And when we get back after our breakfast, we're going to talk about the last part. I'm excited about that. Heavenly Father, thank you for recording your word just like this. We see these words, we see the importance of these words, I pray that you're impressed upon our hearts how valuable every single little phrase is and how meaningful it is to our Christian life. We give you the praise, Lord Jesus, that you took these, especially these three steps on our behalf. Your death for us, your burial for us, your resurrection for us, just to show that you can change us forever. And we praise you for that. Thank you. Thank you for it. As we sing songs to praise you today, as we come back to rejoice in your word again, we thank you, Lord, for the theme of our gospel, the joy it is in our heart to declare it once again. Even now as we sing a concluding song and then we go down to enjoy our meal, we pray your blessing on that too. And we pray that throughout this morning our hearts will be drawn to you for the great things you have done. We praise you now in Jesus' name.
Amen.